HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Tabard Inn, new American cuisine in one of Washington, D.C.'s oldest hotels, located in DuPont Circle. For more information, visit tabardin.com. Time for Lunch is a new podcast from HRN for curious young eaters, where we focus on the serious questions. Aren't chickens tiny dinosaurs? We get to know our favorite foods in unexpected ways. We just like cheered like you would cheer for your classmate when they're round in second base in softball. And we just like, peach, 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 peach. Yay, thank you, peaches. Learn some new recipes and jokes. What does a boxer's mom put in his lunch? A knuckle sandwich. And load up on fun facts. Experts estimate that there are between 1 and 2,000 types of insects eaten around the world. So roll up your sleeves and dig in. Subscribe to Time for Lunch on your favorite podcast app so that you and your favorite young eater can catch up on the whole first season. New episodes of season two out each week. Welcome to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum, and I love to talk with people about what they do and how it influences their personal food stories. This is a show about people, life, and food. If you're just tuning in for the first time, all the previous episodes of Feast Your Ears can be found in the archives at heritageradionetwork.org. I'm thankful for listeners like you, and I'd love it if you'd leave me a review wherever you find this podcast. For those of you with kids at home, I've been working on a new podcast here at Heritage Radio Network. Along with my co-host, Hannah Forden, the program manager at HRN, we've created Time for Lunch, a fun, food-focused show for kids. We've just started our second season, so you've got some catching up to do. I'd also like to remind listeners that Heritage Radio is a nonprofit, and we need your help to stay on the air. If you enjoy this show and listen to the other great podcasts we produce every week, please find your way to heritageradionetwork.org donate to make your gift. Today's theme, checking in. When we think about restaurants, it's often about what to eat tonight or later this week, or what new place opened or perhaps sadly what's closing. We don't often think about the work being done behind the scenes to get a food establishment off the ground. It takes a lot of long lead time work to get projects done. As things have ground to a halt the last few months, some projects are still marching ahead. At the same time, people are pivoting all over the place to make a new version of their restaurants and other food businesses. I called my friend Chris Jekyll last week to check in and see how he's doing. After closing his restaurants Alanda and Uma Tamakaria in New York a few years ago, he moved on to consulting on all sorts of projects, from small restaurants to larger new construction, 
He had a number of projects ongoing when New York and much of the world was put on hold in March. As a chef, he's also involved in two very interesting projects online. The first is 100 Pleats. It's a platform that allows home cooks to access the minds of great chefs. They offer a sliding scale from a 10-minute quick pantry consult to help figure out what you can do with that bottle of fish sauce and the tahini in your pantry, to a full 90-minute culinary experience. Use code LAUNCH25 for 25% off. Check them out at 100pleats.com. That's 100pleats.com. The second project online that Chris is working on is Recipes for Relief. It's a platform where you can access recipes from a huge array of chefs on a pay-what-you-can pricing model, where the money goes to the chefs to help keep them solvent. It's powered by Mies, who've developed a great platform for scaling ingredients in the professional and home kitchen. Learn more at relief.recipes. Thanks for listening. Thanks so much, Chris uh, Jekyll, for joining me today on Feast Your Ears. Can you uh, just, you know, when in the olden days, what I used to say on this show is I used to say when you sit down next to someone on an airplane and you start chatting, what do you tell them about yourself and how do you say what you do? Um, now in coronavirus times, I guess that's not how it works anymore. We don't sit down next to people on airplanes anymore for the most part. Um, but uh, in the old days, when you met somebody, say six months ago, and they asked what you do, what, what was your answer? Uh, so, you know, I, I, I say chef consultant, right, is, is what I say. And I usually preface this with chef because it has been how I spent most of my life. Um, but, you know, it's so that's the short answer. Uh, the long answer is, you know, I, I, I do a lot more um, creative from a non-cooking side of things these days, which is where the consultant side comes in. Hmm. Got it. And your company is called Kitchen Connect? It is called Kitchen Connect, yes. Um, so when when you say creative side, I mean, so you and I met when you were running, I think, two restaurants uh, at the time. You had uh, mm-hmm. uh, Ume Tamakaria, right? And then you had, yes. um, uh, I'm forgetting the name of your Al- town. Al- yeah, Alonda. Alonda, that's right. Um, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, you lived that life for a long time where you were the chef, you were in the kitchen early, you were in the kitchen late, you were doing all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I was... So, you know, I, I spent my life in, in arguably the, the best kitchens in, well, not, not arguably the best kitchens in New York, but arguably some of the best kitchens in the world. And, and you know, that was, that was what I knew and all I knew, to be perfectly frank, you know, from on Madison Park to Tabla to Morimoto to like, I was the opening chef right Yuri, um, just prior to uh, opening Holanda. Um, and then once, you know, sort of, you know, as restaurants seem to go frequently these days, terrifyingly um you know it, it didn't sort of stick with the new york clientele so i, I do still have a management contract in dubai for Alanda. Hmm. um so that still is in existence so i'm very thankful for the fact that the brand is is still around and um you know i get some creative outlet from that i mean things are very different right now so we're going through some some turbulent times over there as well i'm hoping that it doesn't um go the way of the wind, you know, but it, it's getting a little bit challenging from all perspectives. So we'll sort of see um, where that, that sort of shakes out. Um, but once, once Alonda, you know, we sort of made the decision that Alonda was um, not viable. We, uh, I, I sort of just took a step back and, and, I, and I thought about what sort of skills I had and what skills I had developed being an owner and sort of how I could provide resources to people. I, I sort of just said to myself, what, what can I do? And, what, what am I unwilling to do, right? And that's what sort of led me to the consulting route. Um, I had said that, you know, I wouldn't work for another chef again. You know, that was something that I just didn't have the desire to do. 
um, multiple reasons, but, you know, I'd sort of come pretty close to, you know, getting to that level on my own, right? right. So taking that step towards, you know, executing someone else's vision wasn't necessarily what I wanted to do from a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that was physical, right? Part of that was my family was, you know, I was developing a family, which was new for me. Um, you know, I'd gotten married and we were talking about children. And so, you know, that doesn't, isn't the most conducive environment in the world for that. So I yeah, I, I have, I imagine yeah, listeners yeah. on to heritage radio have probably heard that story. <laughs> Uh, many, many, many times about how difficult it is to potentially keep up the, you know, the chef schedule and what it needs to be, especially in a city like New York, and also raise a family. Yeah, you know, it it it, it comes down to choices, right? And there's lots of people that do it, and lots of people that do it successfully, and lots of people that do it and don't do it successfully, right? <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, fifty percent, I think, is the stat in America as a whole, not just not just chefs. Yeah. So, um, you know, I I. But for me, my parents were divorced when I was very young, and my father made the choice to leave New York. So I didn't really have this strong fatherly role model, and it's really important to me that I, you know, provide that for my family. Mm. Um, so that that had a great deal to do with the decision. Um, the secondary portion of it was, you know, how as I as I had developed these skills from a business perspective, right, like the business plan side of it and, and the financial the P&L reviews, the, the experience with the fire department and health department and creating LLCs and all these things were, I was involved in when I went through this and, and I sort of took a step back and I said, okay, you know, what, you know, do chefs have the skill set or are they even told they need to have the skill set? Not usually. I know that I had not been right. Um, well, that's changing now, but, but it had been, you know, challenging. So that was that was a skill that I possessed that you know I felt that a lot of chefs did not possess, at least in at my sort of level. Right. Um. And then I had this. You know, I, I'm pretty. My parents own an accounting firm, so I'm pretty numbers oriented as a whole, and also very organized. Systems, lists, organizational sheets. You know, I'm very very focused on that. I I, I think that that is has a great deal to do with allowing chefs to step away from the kitchen, you know, on, on some, at some times and allowing them to be there for their families and the ones that are successful at it tend to be that way. So I said, okay, I have these skills. I'm, I'm pretty creative. I'm certainly extremely organized. So let me see if I can translate this into people's businesses. And what it has, you know, traditionally turned out to be was mostly either first time operators or groups that have a, a certain number and are looking to expand to a larger footprint, whether that be multiple locations or, you know, you know, uh, you know, grow into the space next door, whatever it may be, is just where I've sort of found my sweet spot historically, um, and that sort of gives me an opportunity to be creative um, from a menu perspective. You know, I'm I'm there to help you know find a chef to to be there. Quite often, I'm there to, to train the first few weeks of the mm-hmm. opening. So I'm involved in the creative, you know, from that perspective, which is why I said it's a little less cooking. It's a lot more sort of, you know, theoretical development and concept. And then once we hire a chef, I quite often work with them, but it's, it's much more on their, you know, the day-to-day role, you know, to for execution. Right. I think it's extremely important that that chef has ownership or they're, you know, they're just never going to perform at the level that they want if they with the care and, and you know, 
um, time commitment that's required to open successfully. And, and without that ownership, I, I think it's just unrealistic. So quite often I, I take a back seat, um, you know, from the creative side, once we get into the kitchen and the nitty gritty of the cooking, right? Like the concept is there, sample menu is there, you know, the, that's, that's all sort of in place. And then we, um, start cooking and, and that sort of morphs into that chef's vision to some extent and obviously the ownership as we as we sort of cook food um, the menu etc right right so things were were going along uh you know you were consulting on various projects and then of course the pandemic hit um and you know new york which was your center of operations essentially shut down um in early march were you, I assume that, you know, the way consulting works, I assume you were at different phases in a bunch of different projects. Have all of those projects essentially kind of been put on pause at this point? So I had an opening scheduled for April and mm-hmm. an opening scheduled for May. Wow. Um, the one scheduled for April, like gas is on, kind of approval, Department of Buildings is done. Like we were waiting for the furniture to get delivered. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, it was in March, right? So we were full on up and ready, like about ready to go. You know, obviously that we had been staying, frankly, optimistic up until, you know, the indefinite indoor dining announcement that made like two weeks ago. Yeah. And we were still sort of, you know, okay, so we pivoted and we were like choosing takeout bags and where we're putting logos on and what we're doing for takeout packaging. And we rebuilt the pro forma and said like, okay, at 50% capacity, we can figure out a way to at least you know, provide an experience that we think isn't detrimental to the brand, yep. um, as well as, you know, break even, you know, from that perspective, at least not be, you know, you know, no one makes money in the first couple of months, right? But sure. but at least we, we could see a, you know, path to not losing money, um, you know, through that. And then once the announcement was made, that just came to a screeching halt. Yeah. Um, the other one was in an airport. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's uh, I mean that's that I'm truly scared for them you know yeah. it's just <clears throat> they the Port Authority is requiring them to remain open um, despite the number of flights that are not going through the airports at this point so you know I had this is a long term group that I've been with and I, this would have been the fifth project I was working on with them um, and we again were concept was just about done construction was almost finished um that was again going to be may you know when all this sort of stuff happened in march so all that work we had done already was sort of you know potentially for naught. right um the nice thing about what they did was they were allowed to consolidate um so they operate seven food and beverage you know operations in a, in a particular terminal in jfk um along with other places but this one was my focus and they were, you know, we and they were allowed to consolidate into one location. So we took like menus and the, the most popular items from each of the locations and, and thought about how to restructure it and move it into a singular space um, so we can provide, you know, a nice mix of menu items. Um, and about three or four weeks ago, they had a day where the sales were $20. Two-zero. Yikes. <laughs> So, like, you know, that's, you know, I'm truly, I'm scared for everyone, you know, in the in the hospitality industry at this point. It's truly terrifying. Yeah. Um, there's certainly outliers out there, you know, people that are doing well. They, they either lucky or chose spaces that are positioned for great outdoor spaces. And right. they may have more seats outdoors than they do have indoors. And, 
you know, we're talking three to five thousand restaurants from the twenty-eight thousand we had in New York. That 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 sort of street thing is really helping. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so that was tough. Um, I do have, you know, what had been my sort of secondary or or like you know nice to have business was this real estate consulting side of it, which was you know, helping developers think through space that they'll need for a restaurant that they want in their building, mm. um, what concepts are sort of maybe not in the neighborhood that might make, make, might fit in that neighborhood. So then like, okay, so we've decided that the neighborhood's missing Chinese, right? Now, you know, as an example. Yep. And okay, so that's a viable option. The neighborhood's missing a diner, right? Okay, that's a viable option, you know, whatever it may be, and putting that list together. Um, so that side of the business, is the only portion of my business that I still have, and I'm super thankful for it. Sure. And it had really only been, you know, sort of subsidies, right? It was a nice to have. It was like, all right, you know, I got four hours worth of calls a week and some diligence work. I could do it on off hours or after my son goes to sleep, or it was really just a sort of padding um, that was, you know, nice to have, and yeah. I enjoyed the work. You know, I was surprised by how much I enjoyed the work, honestly because it's creative in a very, very different way than what I'm used to. Hmm. Um, so that's the moment, what, what I'm doing. Um, and yeah. Right, because the developers are still looking so far out ahead. Yeah. And, and the yeah, way I mean, that the money works and the world works in large building construction in New York is that you might be talking about a building that right now is a hole in the ground and yes, planning, exactly. planning for what might go into that space in four years when it's completed. <laughs> So the one that I'm continuously work, continuing to work on now was slotted for 2023, as an example, right. right? So, you know, that's that's while it's moving slower than it was earlier, it's still moving, and and they have no. I mean, it's a half a billion dollar project. Like this is not, right. you know, like this is not something that's like, oh, we got it like like a you know a five story walk up with like you know a mom and pop shop in the bottom. This is very very well funded, yeah. very very giant sort of operation that this is not slowing. I mean, it's slowing them down, but this is not stopping them. So, um, you know, and I had, this was the second type project that I had been working on. So I wouldn't say that I was pivoting that way, but I was sort of positioning myself as I had conversations with some operators and, you know, organizations that represent, you know, real estate, real estate and or hospitality companies that this is sort of what I had been doing and enjoying. Yeah. Um, so that's one thing that I'm sort of positioning for moving forward is that I have, I have some track record now when I have these sample reports and, you know, I redact the information that is private and, and are able to sort of show that I have done this work. And, and, you know, I'm hoping that that continues to sort of stick around as, a, as, as things move forward. Yeah, I mean, there's so much evidence, I feel like, out there to suggest that it is the people with the deep pockets who are more in the developer scale um, that are the ones who are going to make it through this. I mean, I, you know, the, the other day I was having a conversation with someone and talking about the fact that, you know, the hospitality industry is, you know, may eventually come back to being what it was a year ago um, in our lifetimes, but that it is going to look very different for a long time. And that conversation sort of centered around like what's going to happen with all of the small operators now. And as you point out, some of those people have been either lucky in their location or have been able to pivot in their business model to, you know, kind of ride this out and not, you know, not completely go into debt or go bankrupt. Um, but that really, I think what we're going to see is that in five or 10 years, the landscape will be completely different restaurants. You know, I think that not the, 
you know, it may be that you have the same chefs, you know, opening new concepts, but I feel like so many restaurants that are open now are going to disappear and those nothing's going to be there for, for some time. Yeah. I mean, it's a scary, scary proposition at this point. You know, I, I happen, I happen to be in the city, you know, for the last couple of two days and I went and visited some friends, you know, supporting, you know, et cetera. And each of them I talked to was basically like, you know, the government's paying for my staff and that's the only reason why we're able to do this right now, yeah. you know, with the PPP program, et cetera. So there's just not enough delivery business, you know, just to yeah. sustain these, sustain these people. It's just not there. Right. And it never was there. Um, so, you know, 20, 20% of your income comes in the door when your dining room is full. That's nice to have with delivery, right? Like, yeah. like an extra 50 covers yeah. when you've got the dining room, even the dining room is 50% full, that extra 50, you know, delivery sales are nice to have, right? And, and it helps the business. But even if that's 70 nowadays, that's just not enough. Yeah. Like, like, you know, I, uh, you know, have fast casual, you know, for, for a long time, like five and a half years, Uma, and, you know, we would be doing 200, 225 people a day, you know, at a, at a brick and mortar location on, on 7th Avenue near 14th Street. And that was like break even. Right? There's 225 orders a day. Right. It's not like, you know, so so it's really tough to get to numbers that are sustainable from a delivery perspective and, and from a brick and mortar. Right. Like, listen, you have you're subleasing a space and you have a small environment or, you know, I, I would. I, I'm, I'm very skeptical of the ghost kitchen model. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think that it's it's you know it's challenging to create a digital platform that provides an experience that draws people towards it without having people having experienced it in live format. Um, right. I mean that may all be changing now, right? Like like so you know maybe in six months or a year you know these these ghost kitchens are going to be the a way people operate. But you know I'm still a believer that people want an interaction right? and maybe yeah. that's because I'm a little bit older or you know I'm, I'm not super old but I'm like you know I'm, I'm not 22 either yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm still a believer that people crave interaction and I had a conversation I had a conversation with someone yesterday about the fact that they think that the hosts are going to go away the servers may go away and it's going to be iPads or QR codes on tables and like you, like like the Panera sort of model, right? Where yep. like you may order at a kiosk and you sit at a table and the food's delivered to you. And and I'm not disagreeing with the fact that some of that is going to happen. But the example I used was my son. He's 18 months old, right? And we've been sort of luckily and thankfully, you know, on the North Fork for the last few months. And you know, my parents come out for the weekend, and I can see James like Thursday. He's getting a little like board of us and it's a little bit more challenging to keep him entertained and Friday it gets even a little more challenging and we really just have to like keep him engaged we can't just sort of you know let him play next to us or you know sort of whatever it may be and then Friday night my parents come his grandparents and he's back to Monday James right, right. he's back to like excited and wants to run around and that's the most primal example I can come up with right he doesn't know what an iPad is or, or Instagram or right, right? but he's <laughs> He, I mean, you know, he has no idea. Well, maybe you've seen that iPad and Instagram a little bit, but like, but he certainly isn't focused on it. Yeah. And you know, this is this is just the primal human need to interact with others. I, I just don't see that going away in its entirety. Um, I do see. I, I happen to agree that the host hostess, you know, may be a situation that can go right or or 
you know, maybe there's some hybrid element of, you know, ordering and seating, right? But yeah. I, I have to tell you, you know, like, like I went to two restaurants yesterday. Both of them served me plastic utensils in to-go packaging at a table outside. That sucks, man. Yeah, totally. Like, I mean, I, I'm, you know, like, I'm, like, I'm 100% with you. I mean, like I, you know, one of the struggles that I've had is like I want to, you know, I want to support the restaurants that I love and for me, you know, for I, I just, you know, the experience of if the comparison or, or if the choice is to go to a restaurant and sit outside and eat on eat on throwaway plates with plastic, I would rather bring the food home and eat it on a real plate with a metal fork. Yeah. I don't disagree with you. You know, and it was something, and I totally understand why they're doing it. Listen, it, like that eliminates the need yeah. for a dishwasher. Of course. Right? That eliminates, like, like I totally understand. And it eliminates right? what and we, it, what could be a potential vector for, like, disease transmission that we still don't even know. Yeah, we you know, know. Like, mean, it, it seems to be that it's not con- surface contact. It's not yes, of course. It's not necessarily culprit here. Yep. But, but still, people are uncomfortable, and, you know, that you need to accommodate that. This episode is brought to you by Tabard Inn. Tabard Inn, Washington, D.C.'s quintessential hotel, is located on a quiet, tree-lined street just five blocks from the White House. Vibrant yet unassuming, the Tabard is comprised of 40 sleeping rooms, each unique in character and design. Feast on an eclectic American cuisine in their acclaimed restaurant, or enjoy a cocktail and listen to live jazz in one of their cozy Victorian seating areas. Mingle with travelers from around the world who find the Tabard the only place to stay when taking their travels to Washington. For more information, visit tabardin.com. Is there anything that you have come across that you've seen restaurants or uh you know bars or delivery services or anybody doing that you just thought was like wow that was such a good idea that managed to you know for someone to either just like shift their business model during all of this that was something that you know just like really pinged your interest um the 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 thing that i'm seeing that I, i think is the model for potentially removing some of the service is the qr codes i don't know if you've seen these but Hmm. You know where you take you take a picture of the QR code that's either painted on the table or provided on this tangent or et cetera, and the menu comes up right with pictures right. of the food and details of what that what's in it, listing the out, potential allergies, et cetera, eliminating some of the need for verbal interaction with the um, with the, the staff, which you know I think is super smart, um, and and I think it's of the times for sure, and yeah. I think that there will be some sort of hybridization of that into the model of the restaurant moving forward. Um, I think that, you know, that's, that's interactive. Number one, it's also sort of seems to be the way of the, the younger generations of the desire for some interaction, but less of it. And that <laughs> allows them to, I mean, this is just reality, right? It allows them to feel like they're interacting with something when they're really truthfully not. In right. My opinion, right. But, <laughs> sure. But, 
but you know, still, it, it gives people the feeling of like, oh, I'm involved in this, like I'm immersed in this experience, right? You know, that it, it, it provides that, in it potentially provides that sort of lack that we're I'm seeing from the service side for obvious right. reasons. Right. Absolutely. Um, I want to talk about two other projects that you have become involved in. Um, I don't know if you were involved in either of them or the starting of them before the pandemic, um, but I want to talk about uh, 100 Pleats uh, as well as your recipes for relief cookbook. Sure. Um, so, you know, I was not in development of either of these. I am, you know, through my network and through my friends, I um, was asked to participate in both of these. Cool. Um, so we'll start with 100 pleats. So 100 pleats is one of the ways that chefs are pivoting, um, including myself, to to sort of stay busy and you know bring in some much needed dollars. Um, 100 pleats is is pretty cool. So there's a couple of options that they provide that I, I think are you know the most fun. The one that I'm the most excited about um, is the 10 minute you know quick fire. Experience, I think, is the term. Yeah, they're using. Oh no, the ten for ten is this. The quick fire is thirty minutes. Sorry. So the ten for ten is, um, you know, that you get a text message or I get a text message. Um, the chef gets a text message about an hour prior to, so it's pretty quick turnaround. Um, and we do a video, like you know, cell phone zoom of someone's pantry, and we just do a quick like ten minute. This is what I would do with what you have in your pantry to whip up a quick dinner. Oh, um, super cool. Which I think is a lot of fun, right? Yeah. It's a lot of fun for me. It's a lot of fun for cooks, right? Like people can come in and they're like, oh, I would totally take that soy sauce and that, you know, champagne vinegar and the sugar and boil it down and I would, you know, toss it over the the, the chicken and let it marinate for 30 minutes and then put it on the grill on, on like, you know, medium to low so it doesn't burn because of the sugar and let it sort of stick in, you know, whatever it may be, whatever I see in their pantry, you know, it's, it's tons of fun, right? It, it, and it's super inexpensive. It's 10 bucks, right? Like, you know, and, and, and it's, and it's, so it's, it's, it's a very short barrier to entry and it's a great way to interact with chefs, you know, or, or respect or chefs you don't and are, are curious about, you know, their cooking skills. Well, and it sounds um, really fun from both sides because as the person at home, you know, you get into your normal things that you're used to cooking, right? Or like maybe you bought that fish sauce because you needed it for recipe once, but you don't really know what to do with it. Um, and so it's cool because you get someone else's right expert opinion to say, oh, here's what you can do with this. And it might open up a whole new world of possibilities for you at home. And then from the chef side, you know, I mean, I think you and I have actually talked about this in the past, like, you know, not not everyone who can cook is a great teacher of cooking. And so, you know, sometimes cooking classes are actually not fun for chefs. I mean, I've certainly known chefs that have gotten involved in cooking classes. They don't really like teaching, but this sounds like it's fun because you get to kind of be creative and it's not that long and it's short. And you just be like, yeah, here's what I would make with that. Now go, you can go make it yourself. You know, thanks for chatting. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's been enjoyable. And, and with that, you know, I think that it's, it's, it's a cost savings thing for a lot of people too, right? Like you have these things like, like people, my wife is a great example, right? She's not a proficient cook. And she, when she's cooking, she needs a recipe. And with that recipe, she goes shopping, right? And she like goes and buys the ingredients for it. And then, you know, so we, all of a sudden, you have these things around the house that I have to utilize <laughs> for me, right? But but for other people at home, I mean, this is this times are tough, right? And if you have all of these things, that if you're that type of cook, 
and you have these things that you bought for a specific recipe and you don't know what to do with them and they're just sitting there or right? it's an opportunity to use these things and start to clear out your pantry without spending money i mean there's so much food that can be made from your freezer and from yeah. your pantry that is utterly delicious that like you've had sitting around for six months right there's so much delicious food to go through that if you can if you have a deep understanding of what can be done with it yeah absolutely um that's super cool well i definitely you know i will encourage people to explore that uh and maybe i'll check it out too i mean you know one of the things that's kind of fun i feel like even just like being in the industry is like i look at the faces here and i'm like oh it would be really fun to like see what anita Lowe would do with the stuff in my pantry like i know why i have the stuff and i feel like i'm a pretty like accomplished cook but like i might not think of it so for like 10 bucks it might be fun to chat and like you know get some ideas right um i feel like yeah yeah you know, i mean listen you, you so the, the website is 100, the number, P-L-E-A-T-S dot com. Um, there's a lot of really talented chefs on there, Jahangir Mehta, Franklin Becker, um, uh, Elizabeth Faulkner, myself. I mean, there's some real talent on there. Um, so it, it's certainly worth taking a look at. And, and I think Anita, you mentioned Anita, I think she's on the list as well. Yep. Um, so there's really a lot of talent there and a lot of different perspectives on how to cook and food. Uh, through food and, and presentation, you know, I think this could be a lot of fun for people that are passionate about it. Yeah, and the and you know, uh, the 100 pleats is a play on the fact that the standard sh- French chef's hat has 100 pleats, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. So that was the you know the, the original toque yep. is had 100 pleats in it. Mm-hmm. I, I also have to say, I think it's. I mean, I, I like the name, and I think it's like a funny nod to that. But also the fact that if you look at the chef's page on the site, nobody's wearing a toque. <laughs> nobody wears a token. No, nobody wears a token anymore. anymore anyway. But I just, you know, so it's kind of a. Yeah, it's kind of, that's funny. I hadn't, I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that. Maybe, yeah. maybe I should talk to Frank. So Franklin Decker is the one of the founders of the program. Got maybe it. I should talk to him about it. Um, I, uh, you know, I have experience and had several years where I, I did wear a toque, um, and it's something that I, as soon as I didn't have to, I, I it stopped. And, 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 and it's not about the hat or even the look to be perfectly frank. I'm six foot three. Right. So oh, what yeah. I don't need is something that makes me seven foot three. <laughs> like, like, yeah, absolutely. And it, oh, especially in a kitchen, which can be cramped or if you're leaning over the, you know, you're leaning over the, the flat top like, and the broilers you, above like, or you, you, you got to duck a, a two feet to get in the walk-in every time you go in. Like, like, <laughs> I mean, really, like, like, oh, it must be nice to be so tall. Yeah, until you have to wear a, a foot tall hat in a, in a hot kitchen. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, um, let's chat about recipes for relief. So, recipe, you know, tell me about it. It's a, it is a digital cookbook, right? Yes. So, well, you know, this is quite interesting. So, I have been describing it as a digital cookbook. It is at the moment what it is is a platform for us. Um, and the groups of chefs to sell recipes. So you have an option to buy um, the unlimited plan, essentially, that, that allows you access to you know all of my recipes or someone else's recipes. Um, and with that, you have, you know, I am constantly, I shouldn't say constantly, but once a week a new recipe goes up, which is pretty exciting. Um, and right now is my favorite time to cook. I just put up the grilled porgy with zucchini, tomatoes, and colatura, which is like the epitome of summer to me, 
right? Yeah, like, I was just looking at that tomatoes. recipe. It looks so good. I want to make it. <laughs> it's, dude, dude, it's awesome. And it's so simple, but it's so required your seasonal ingredients. Like, it's not great unless the zucchini is, is, is you know, because it's such simple cooking. Yep. It's truly special when you when you're when you're sourcing ingredients, you know, you know, only as good as the ingredients is, is the great way to describe this this particular dish. Um, but it's it's to me it's a lot of fun because it's it's for two fold. One, it keeps me focused and keeps me cooking. You know, at a time when it's hard and challenging to find, you know, enjoyment in life as a whole. Right? Yeah. It's really tough right now. You know, it's, it's for a lot of people, and this keeps me you know, cooking and, 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 and revisiting some of my, my favorite classics and sort of creating some, you know, hopefully new classics. Right. Yep. Um, so it keeps me engaged and keeps me enjoying it. But the other really cool thing about this platform is it converts all of your recipes for you. Hmm. So you can go in and you can type in, like I write my recipes in grams, generally speaking, right. right. I, we can go down the rabbit hole as to why, but we don't yep. need to do that on, on the, on the, on the, on this, particular conversation um but it's certainly more accurate in my eyes but you can you can you can go in and hit cups and it auto converts for you no matter what the ingredient is nice right so it's really it's i mean the the amount of time and effort that was spent on on cutting and weighing and measuring these ingredients i I, like can't even imagine how much how much time was spent to sort of develop this database yep but there's, there's, there's nothing else like it that's just user-friendly. I've seen a lot of things available for commercial kitchens to do this sort of stuff, mm-hmm. nutrition nutrition counters, and et cetera, and none of them are user-friendly. They're really challenging. And and this one is just a point-and-click. It's, it's really pretty cool. It's, it's almost app-oriented, so you can just click on it and drag it around and hit the, and hit in LBs, and it converts the grams to pounds. Awesome. Um, instead of it, it's it's the most exciting thing i've seen you know from this perspective in a long time for a for a professional and a home cook so they that group uh, so josh sharkey is the chef who, who originally created this and him and i worked at tabla together years ago um and we are working on something new for the fall i'm not quite ready to release that yet but it's, it's going to be pretty exciting and it's going to be um good for chefs in particular um, I, it, it's a new way to look at selling your creativity, hmm. which has not been, it's sort of based on, you know, the music model is the best way to, for me to describe it and not sort of let too much out Got um, it. for chefs. It, it really is. It's pretty exciting to me. And it's something that, you know, c- could theoretically create long-term well, well, minimal or not minimal, depending on how popular you get, but long-term income for chefs, mm. which is, you know, exploring that has been a lot of fun for me and him. Um, so that's, that's very exciting, and, and I'm really looking forward to that, and that will be fall. So with that, you know, Recipes for Relief is um, available till the end of the month. So if anyone um, is interested in, bu- in buying in, you should do so sooner than later. The other important thing is it's a pay what you will. Um, so... You, know, you want to spend two bucks on a recipe? Great, spend two bucks on a recipe, right? You want to you want to spend a hundred bucks on the digital cookbook because you know there's fifty recipes in there, and you know that I'm going to be putting a new one up every week. Also right. great. You want to spend twenty five bucks on that digital cookbook? Cool, right? Like I'd like you to spend a hundred bucks, yeah. <laughs> obviously, right? <laughs> sure. but, but like if you you want to spend twenty five bucks? Like cool, you know it's 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 really accessible to people, and and that's 
you know, you're hearing that theme with 100 pleats and it's price point too. I think yep. that's really important to make these things accessible to people. Um, so, you know, it, it's both of these programs I'm really passionate about and, and I get, and I stand behind, which, you know, can say or not say things, but I, I tend to not do things that I'm not at least somewhat supportive of yeah. from a, you know, from all perspectives, right? I'm not a flashy guy that's out there like, you know, hawking myself to like, <laughs> that's just not me, right? Like, I, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. And I'm, I'm good for the people that do because they probably make more money than me. And yeah. like, but, but, I live a, but I live a much more private life than that. Yep. So I, I, don't, um, I don't generally do these sort of things unless I support them from a holistic standpoint, more so than just the financial. So, you know, I really think that they're, they're, they're great opportunities for people to learn about cooking and experience new techniques and new foods. Um, and help them through, you know, their hesitations um, in regards to their own personal cooking and their skill set. Well, and, and I think one of the, the other great things about it, I mean, you know, even though it's a pay what you will, it, it opens up, you know, like the market is so large, right? Like if you are cooking just at Alanda, even when you were at your busiest, you know, your market was only as big as the number of people who happened to walk down 12th Street. But yeah on the internet, the market is enormous. And so someone who might never come to New York or might never have gotten to taste your food has the opportunity through connecting with you on there and using your recipe to have something that they might've eaten had they gone to your restaurant. And, and, you know, recipes for leaf allows you to direct message me. Oh, um, cool. So if you're going through the recipe and you have a question, there's a link on there. Once you're, once you're in the system, to direct message me if you have a question, which is even, which is only continuing to solidify that. Like, you know, the uni bucatini is an example of what, which is one of those dishes that I was, became famous for, I guess, or whatever. I, and, I remember um, eating it at Alanda. It was delicious. <laughs> uh, I mean, it was delicious, right? But, but it's not easy, right? And, and, yeah. uh, and so you can sort of, oh, so home smoking, how do I do that? All right. So I, I, I'm very detailed in the, methods on these things on how to get them done and, and how to go through it but but home smoking is not the easiest thing in the world right so you have a question about it um you know shoot me a note and and we can either get on the phone or we can converse via email or whatever it may be and, and i'm happy to walk people through it it's 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 a very cool opportunity for for cooks Awesome. Well, Chris, is you know, as, as our conversation kind of wraps up, is there anything else on your horizon that you want to bring up? I mean, I you know, I have to say, uh, you know, even if a lot of your other projects seem to be on hold, you're certainly keeping yourself busy. Uh, having well, an 18 month old is no small feat either. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> you know, I, I listen. I'm a born and raised New Yorker, right? Like, yeah. I don't really have this sit on my hands in my blood. Yeah. Like it's just not. It's just not there. And. And I am not, so from that, you know, I have no idea if any of these things are going to have longevity or work or not, but what I'm not going to do is sit on my hands, you know? Right. And so the, the, and I, and I truly suggest that for anyone, for your sanity and for your, you know, emotional state and, and your financial life, you know, just try it, you know, no matter what it is, whatever your skill set is or whatever, you know, you, you know, we talked about this when I moved into consulting, right? Like whatever, I had no idea what I was going to do when we closed Alanda. I was like, yeah. am I going to go raise money and be a chef? I was like, I don't know. I know how to do this. Like, I know how to start a company. I'm like, let me find a friend that can build me a website and let's give this a shot, right? And six years later, I'm still doing it. Like, I had no idea, right? So like just, just like shooting something out in the air and putting it out in the world 
you know, at a time like this, you just never know, and it will really be helpful for your emotional state. Um, and the other thing I will say is, I, Harry, I'll, I'll let you be one of the first people to know once I get there. But I'm brewing up, and this will be something that I'm developing on my own, not not for um, no others per se. Um, but I'm not a digital guy, so it won't be a you know it'll be a website, et cetera. But it won't necessarily be interactive from this this perspective that we've been talking about with 100 meats and recipes for relief. But I'm looking to change the dinner party model, hmm. um, and you know because those are just not a thing right now, right? right. So I am working quite hard on I'm, I'm doing two test runs one for what used to be a, a sit down charity dinner um and another one for a product launch we're talking about staying busy right now right <laughs> um so, so those are two things that i'm i'm actively develop in development for and and you know once they sort of get launched and i have some experience with you know these these guinea pig models i'm intending on sort of pivoting um a little bit towards that and allowing people the opportunity to you know, cook together and eat together while not being together. Hmm, um, nice. So yeah, I'm I'm pretty excited about it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, I, whether or not it's another one of those things, I'm going to take the shot in the dark. And if it sticks, great. If it doesn't stick, then all right, you know, I'll try something new. Right. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I'm pretty excited about that. And and I'll uh, I'll follow up um, with you and and some others as I as I get a little bit closer to that final product. Cool. That sounds amazing. Well, thank you so much for taking your time uh, this morning to, to chat with me. Yeah, thanks for thinking of me, Harry. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Feast Your Ears today. You can follow Chris at C Jekyll, that's C-J-A-E-C-K-L-E, on Instagram. And you can find out more about his consulting work at kitchenconnect.co. Please check out Recipes for Relief online, relief.recipes, and you can use code LAUNCH25 for 25% off at 100pleats.com. That's the number 100, P-L-E-A-T-S dot com. You can find Feast Your Ears, as well as lots of other great shows, at heritageradionetwork.org, on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please reach out if you have any questions. You can reach me via email, harry at thebrooklynkitchen.com. You can follow me on Instagram at thefoodballer. And please check out our new kids podcast, Time for Lunch, wherever you get your podcasts. Feast Your Ears is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.